Our scripture reading this morning, there are three passages that we'll share. The first is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 34. Matthew chapter 6, 31 to 34. So do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Second passage is from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 32. Mark 6, 30 to 32. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, and he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. And finally, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Good morning. Uh, Two weeks ago, we began a fall sermon series on spiritual disciplines. And so Labor Day, Sunday, uh, Pastor Wes encouraged us to engage in godly discipline training to be examples in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And from Scripture, we're taught and commanded to devote ourselves to public reading of Scripture. We've been back in Deuteronomy 31 preaching and teaching from God's word in Acts 2, using our gifts and talents for growing the kingdom of God, Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, different references scripturally. And then last week, Wes referred to what could be referred to, and we've uh, got these listed in the series as inward disciplines, uh, practices and activities that can tend to be a little bit more inward focused, uh, disciplines that can be done alone, by yourself, not necessarily involving somebody else in the process, uh, but taking care of growing spiritually. Bible study, prayer, meditation, fasting. And then next week, Wes will continue some of what we'll be talking about as we engage in disciplines corporately as a full body of believers within these walls, within our Sunday school classes, within our conferences of churches, within our Christian faith? How how do we engage and train together, growing spiritually together? And and so today, kind of in between those, 
we're going to look at some disciplines that may be classified as outward disciplines, practices and then activities that may engage others in some way, impact and involve others in some way, not, not just ourselves and not necessarily a corporate process, but it's still a discipline, some activity and process for growing spiritually. And I want to keep, keep this in mind. The goal for every one of the spiritual disciplines that we may engage on, whether it was discussion from two weeks ago, last week, this week, and next week, the goal of our spiritual disciplines for every believer in Christ is not a self-help process. It's not a way that I can be improved, self-improvement. The goal is not necessarily to guarantee a change in our situation or our circumstances. But the goal is for spiritual growth, for changing our hearts, experiencing the peace, the joy, and the love of God, and having a deeper relationship and understanding of, of God, who he is, his call for our life. That's the goal of our spiritual disciplines that we anticipate and participate in. Now, one of the dangers in discussing and engaging in disciplines of any type is that the discipline itself becomes the focus, not the goal. Uh, Christian theologian Richard Foster uh, wrote a book back in 1978 called Celebration of Discipline. And he says this about spiritual disciplines. And I want you to keep in mind, he proposes spiritual disciplines as a good thing, a, a way for growth spiritually. But here's what he says about disciplines. Christian spiritual formation has nothing essentially to do with such practices. Many of these practices are useful, to be sure. And again, he proposes using these. And some are more useful than others. But none is essential none in and of its own. What is essential is life with Jesus, interactive relationship with the great God of the universe, and inner transformation into Christ's likenesses. And so what I, what I see him saying in this is don't get caught up and lose focus in the act of the discipline that you are engaging in. Don't build your perception of your own holiness in the discipline itself. Spiritual disciplines are a means, not an end. Keep in mind that goal. The focus should be on God, Jesus, growing in faith with him as our Lord and master of our life, our, of our decisions, of our interaction with this world. So, so as we keep those goals in mind of spiritual growth and knowing God more, knowing God better, at the forefront, I propose four disciplines that we'll, we'll talk about today. All of these begin with the letter S. And I, I would say that each one of these individually could be a sermon completely of its own, if not a couple of sermons. And so my reference to these is going to be short, um, not a full-blown explanation of these, but, but these are four disciplines with S. Simplicity, solitude, submission, and service are the four. So first of all, simplicity. 
And, and if I ask you to describe a simple lifestyle, what comes to mind? What do you envision with a simple lifestyle? What are some thoughts? Amish, horse and buggies, yeah. Probably more than just one or two words because it's supposed to be simple, right? So it can't be anything extravagant that you're explaining. I, I would guess that a lot of our thoughts comes to possessions. Things we have, things we own might direct us to thinking about the Amish who do live simply um, within our own homes, maybe you know, not having extravagant, um, hugely decorated homes, um, color schemes, not flamboyant or bright, closets and dressers that, you know, there's minimalism that goes along with some of that idea of simplicity. Okay, I mean, possessions are where our eyes, our minds go for simplicity many times. But it's, it's the scenario that, I, that for those possessions, in and of themselves, those aren't evil. And, and what I'm going to push with this is possessions, I don't think, are the only thing that Jesus is talking about for simplicity. As far as possessions, we need homes, we need vehicles. We need clothes. We need food. Um, Wes read Matthew 6.32, and, and you know, it's acknowledged there. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And if you look up in the verses before that, all these things referred to clothes, food, but basic needs that God knows you need things. We need some of those possessions but the value that we place on those possessions. When they become too important, when those possessions fill our thoughts first, when they become more than our relationship with God or our relationship with others, that's when we have a problem with our spiritual life, our spiritual growth, something is in the way. Uh, My favorite verse is Matthew 6.33. Seek first his kingdom and all these things shall be added to you. So all these things, whatever that may be, the focus is Jesus' kingdom first. Where does that play out? How do I fit in with that? And so here are a couple of questions I have for this. If I am struggling with other things becoming more important, what is it that's taking focus away, my focus away from God? What is distracting me? And possessions will do that. Possessions will distract us. Things that you have or things that you want to have. I came across a list of principles for helping to faithfully simplify a Christian life. And and this list had about 10 to 12. I'm I'm just going to list four that I think can be helpful. One, reject anything that is producing an addiction in you something that takes your distraction and your focus somewhere else. Two, develop a habit of giving things away. Be generous. Third, refuse to be propagandized by the custodians of modern gadgetry. What's the newest? What's the best thing that comes out next week, next month? 
And then the fourth one I, I refer to here, shun anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. So with simplicity, I believe it does include possessions, but I, get, I believe it goes beyond just possessions. Actions we participate in, attitudes we might have, can in some ways become possessions, things that we want to have, things that we want to maintain. Any scenario or situation where we're seeking our own way instead of God's way can complicate and muddy our lives. And, and I think of three things that our Western culture in particular, I think value as possessions. One is time. A second would be our rights. And a third would be our voice. Those are possessions. They're mine. Frequency, we can become protective of time as a possession, making sure that no one intrudes on our time. But I want us to think our time is actually God's time. Our gifts, our talents, our time is to be used seeking him, what he wants for us, what he wants from us first. There's time for those other things as well. But what does God want first? And relating to rights, um, long time ago, 1791, our founding fathers in the United States ratified the Bill of Rights. There were 10 of them. There have been 17 that have been added since then. In 1948, the United Nations enacted the International Bill of Human Rights. There's 30 rights listed in that document. And, and these are rights that protect religion, speech, assembly, fair trials, ma many other things. And having those in place are very helpful. Many of them can be violated, which is not a good thing. Never perfectly applied within our, our world. Sometimes we don't even apply them correctly within our churches. But what are rights? Too often I think we hear the word rights sneaking into scenarios when we want to be able to do something and there's pushback. And I have to say that there have been a few times that I've said, yeah, I have the right to, and you can fill in the blank. And if we hear that or if we say that, rights are being viewed as a possession, something that I get, I have. And again, I would say this, just as Jesus said in, in Matthew 6, I know you need those things. God knows we need rights. There's protection, there's safety. But if my rights are what I claim above anything that the kingdom of God is calling for me, I think that's a problem. And relating to voice, especially recently, social media has allowed a voice to become dispersed and shared in new ways incredibly quickly, worldwide. And having a voice has become a huge possession that many in our world are not willing to reduce or give up. I want my voice to be heard. And, and I think just like time and rights, my voice needs to be secondary to seeking the kingdom of God and what he is calling me to. So possessions, time, rights, voice, however we want to have something above you know, God's call for us. They can create an unsimple life for us. God first in all that we say and do. 
And I believe simplicity is a call to seeking God's kingdom first and foremost as it relates to our possessions, whether material or anything else. And God has promised that the other things will fall into place. So simplicity. Second one, solitude. And solitude as a spiritual discipline. This is not just a matter of going off, finding an isolated place alone, and falling asleep. Um, Solitude as a spiritual discipline has a purpose. Remember, a purpose, growing closer to God. So a purpose here would be for revival and an opportunity for reflection away from distractions. In Mark 6, 7, this would be prior to the verses that Wes read, Jesus had sent his disciples out two by two to preach and teach, giving them authority over impure spirits. So they had gone out two by two, and now they came back. And this is a bit of what Wes was reading. In verse 30, they returned And they gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. They were excited. They had many stories of miracles and gospel transformations to share with their interaction. And I have to imagine that they needed some time to debrief and reflect and compare stories, but also on their own. And that's what Jesus was calling them to do in verse 31. Together, but also individually, come and rest in some isolated area. Debrief what you've just experienced over the last weeks or months. And then Jesus also took time away for himself. Luke 5, 16 says, So Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Mark 1, 35 says, Very early in the morning, While it was yet dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And so solitude provides an opportunity for silence and for quiet. It invites an opportunity for reflecting and for listening, for prayer. In Ecclesiastes 3, we read there is a season for everything. And so there is a time to be social engaged in godly conversation, fellowship, um, discussion, preaching, teaching, encouraging, sharing with and admonishing one another. But then there's also a time to be quiet and be reflective, listening as we pray, as we meditate, and as we reflect on what God is saying to us as we listen. One of the comments I read about this discipline of solitude said, one fruit of solitude is increased sensitivity and compassion for others. We must go away from people to be truly present when we are with people. It is a separation from people and self that allows our ears to hear God speaking to us. So when we find ourselves constantly in groups, our words can sometimes become too important for us. Again, we want to have our voice heard. We want to share our thoughts We want to have that lively discussion. And there's a time for that, and that is needed. But there's also that time away. Moses met with God at the tabernacle in Exodus 33. God spoke to Elijah in 1 Kings 19. God spoke to Jacob in Genesis 32. And each of these times, 
those individuals were completely alone. All settings of solitude, available for God to speak, and then the most important thing, available for them to listen and to hear without the distractions. Now, times of solitude may not always be available in large doses. It's not going to be easy to take an hour or two away from the hustle and bustle of life on a regular basis. That may not be in your schedule. So until you have the opportunity to do something in a longer time frame, take advantage of little solitude moments that can be part of your day. In the car as you drive, turn the radio off and listen to God speak to you as you drive. As you walk from one room to another, whether at work or at home, say a short prayer. Tell God thank you for what he's done in your life. In the short term, prayer for the long term. As you shower, take an extra two or three minutes. And as you let the water cascade over, you just rest in a moment of solitude and commune with God. Solitude can happen in different ways in different settings. But let your discipline of solitude always be centered on God and his presence with you. Let him be the center of that time. The third S, submission. Uh, the, the Greek word used here is hupotasso. It means to put under or arrange under. And, and the word submission, literally, from, from a kind of a military perspective, is a secondary mission. It's not the primary mission, it's a sub-mission. So if we are under submission, we're going to a secondary goal. Keeping in mind what the primary goal would be, but we are allowing our goal, our thoughts, to be a sub-secondary mission. And our world, our, even our, let's say our human nature, we don't like to be submissive to anything. We want things to go our way, with our timing, exactly what we want done, exactly how we want done it. Um, yeah, submission, submissiveness is viewed as being weak in our world. You're being preyed upon. Somebody is putting their agenda upon you. Well, and that's an unhealthy thing if that is actually being done, but just by being submissive, that's not a guarantee that you're being taken advantage of. It's not about being unhealthy in your self-care. There's four sets of scriptures that I want to read that have to do with being submissive to one another and to God. James 4, 7 tells us, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Ephesians 5.21, Paul writes, Submit to one another out of reference for Christ. Hebrews 13.17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will, give, will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And 1 Peter 5.1-3 says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, 
Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples. And here's where I I would put in, being examples of what? Of serving in submission to God's calling. Being examples to the flock. So with, with these verses, every one of us, leaders, parents, children, friends, family, coworkers, we're called to take our mission in life and place it under God's calling for us. Whatever we believe our mission is in this life, make sure it aligns with God's calling. Be aware of the welfare of those around us. Make sure it lines up with what God is speaking to us. And that's what Paul said in Philippians 2, where I read this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and gain, or a vain conceit. Value others above yourselves. Look out for the interest, the good of others. And so nothing in these verses says that you are supposed to hate yourself, ignore your interests in self-care and in health. No. Take care of yourself. And I back up with simplicity. And regarding the weakness that this world sometimes has, you know, the perception of weakness that this world has, I believe there is an awesome, incredible strength required to allow your wishes to become secondary for the good and the welfare of someone else. That's incredibly strong and loving and caring. There is no weakness in that process. This world doesn't understand the same things that we are called for. Love and care of one another. But our challenge is to show them Now, I had never thought of submission as a spiritual discipline before. But I think it's good that we recognize how and why it is. Now, if if our spiritual discipline is meant to grow us stronger, closer to God, I want to read Philippians 2 as to how this submission grows us. So Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We've heard that many different times. But our act of submission is following the steps and the mindset of Jesus Christ. Jesus humbled himself for our benefit, for our salvation. And he didn't need to do that, but he did, lovingly, caringly. So we want to be intentional about why we live in simplicity, why we engage in solitude, and why we live in submission. Well, we do that because we're seeking God's will first. And we're doing this to grow closer to him. And so these three things lead us to this last one I have about serving, service. And, and this, this discipline of service 
Um, it's definitely been ingrained in many of us growing up in the Mennonite church. I think it's one of those things that, you know, some of the things I'm going to describe, we almost make it second nature. Like, well, yeah, we, we normally do that. What's the big deal? Our youth groups have gone on many service trips over the year, along with a lot of single evening nights that our youth groups will do. Um, our MDS trip uh, going to Maryland this November. We have at least once, if not two a year, right? Those are service trips. Um, Cornerstone, young adults, uh, just a couple weeks ago, helped Doug Hernley do some cleanup prior to the uh, fireworks. That's service. We have various Sunday school classes that volunteer, whether individually at the depot or other areas, or organize a night to go and serve. We have many volunteers here in the congregation who are serving as leaders, teachers, cooks, chairpersons, ushers, uh, all the different roles that we have. That's service. And we, we serve well. But did you ever consider that serving was a spiritual discipline? Or is it just, well, it's something that we do? I think it's important that we think intentionally about why we serve. That's the strength in it. That's the encouragement in it. That's the challenge in it. The act of simplicity, the act of solitude, the act of submission, the act of service is not what grows your faith, your closeness to God. It may be an expression. It is a bit of what we would say for our service. But the engagement with God as we do those things, the focus on God as we do those things, that's what provides an opportunity for growth, for challenge, for encouragement. And so I I do believe we need to recognize some of why we do what we do. So here's a couple of questions that you may have been asked at different times. When you go on mission trips, why do you go? Why do you serve on committees in church? Why do you volunteer? Wherever you're volunteering, why do you volunteer? And, And I would anticipate a common answer would be, well, it's fun. I enjoy it. It's a tradition of our youth group. It's a tradition of our church. Our Sunday school class has always done that. I have time, so I I do it. And, And those aren't bad answers. But I don't think they get to why we do what we do. I think a better answer might be something like this. Jesus set an example of serving in love. And so as I serve, I'm honoring my Savior, my Lord and Master, my church, my congregation, those I interact with, with my service. That's why I'm doing it, because Jesus did it first for us. And so with that answer, and, and, and I don't want us to be patting ourselves on the back, that's not why we're doing this, but I think in answering and being aware of that, I think we do two things. We let others know why we serve. We're not just interested in being good people. It's not because we want to look nice, be nice. We serve God with our lives and with our activities. That's why we're doing what we do. And so let people know. Be a witness for him. 
He's the one that has directed us to serve. And the second thing I think this is helpful is remind ourselves of why we're doing what we're doing. It's not just a flippant decision that I'm making to serve. It's an intentional decision to follow in the steps of Jesus Christ. That's why we're serving. That's why we work with any of the spiritual disciplines is to grow closer to Christ. Here are a couple of additional uh, verses for serving. Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Colossians 3, 23 to 24, we're encouraged, whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So in all of the different activities we participate in, we're serving Christ in all that we do. And that's an intentional decision. I think we need to remind ourselves with simplicity, solitude, submission, service. And, and those are probably not traditional thoughts of what spiritual disciplines would be. But those are not the ends. Those are means to an end of growing closer with Christ. But I think we need to be intentional and remind ourselves of why we do what we do. That's the, where the growth can occur. So we keep in mind, it's not about me and mine. All four of these end up putting the focus somewhere else, either on God or others, because that's what it's about. It's about him. It's about serving him and serving others. So I invite the team to come on up as we sing, I am thine, O Lord, and as they do, I want you to think, the beginning of the uh, service, the team led us in a couple of songs, Come As You Are, and the 99. Come As You Are is God's invitation to us. Come. And the 99, he's seeking us out. And so as we sang those, that was an invitation. And so what we're gonna sing now is our response, I'm thine, O oh Lord.